When this old world starts a getting me down And people are just too much for me to face I'll climb way up to the top of the stair And all my cares just drift right into space Well, good people. Hello from Mark G. Baber. <clears throat> Pardon the kind of crud in my throat. Didn't even realize it was there. But hello and welcome to Begging to Differ. I think this is at long last episode seven. And the title of today's episode is going to be the further journey, the further journey. And I'll say a lot about what I mean by that uh, here in a few minutes or for the next 30 or 40 minutes. I've been silent in the podcast world since January the 31st, uh, a full two months and one week. I'm not a... I'm not producing a new podcast today due to the loud and persistent protests of my uh, 200-ish followers. Truth be known, two people uh, have asked me, uh, when are you going to do another uh, podcast? One of them is my wife, which makes me feel real good. Another is a friend at church who asked me about them, and so it made me feel real good. There might have been one or two others, uh, but not a whole lot of people saying, come on with it, man. Uh, Demand is not all that high, and I think I understand why. Man, if you listen to podcasts, and obviously you do because you're listening to this one, you are fully aware of how much wonderful, wonderful content there is out there, Uh, entertainment and spiritual living and philosophy and uh, sports and it just whatever interest you may have, there is a really good podcast for it. And so the fact that you take some of your time to listen to me uh, means more to me than I can ever really say. So I, I'm not doing this today because there's such a high demand. Uh, my best reason I think I can give you for time between episodes Uh, is that I have this deep sense that if you're going to say something, you really ought to have something to say. I had this old mentor when I was uh, fresh out of college. He wasn't all that old then. He's old now. I'm not even sure if he's still living. I hope he is. Uh, Southern Baptist preacher by the name of Gerald Taylor gave me a chance to work with him one summer before I went to um, graduate school. And uh, he was letting me do the speaking and preaching every Sunday night at his church that summer. And and I remember he said to me one time, you know, sometimes you have to say something. And sometimes you believe deep in your heart that you've got something to say. And when you truly have something to say inside of you, it just has to be said. I didn't realize uh, maybe how wise Pastor Gerald was at that time, but after several years in the ministry myself where 11 o'clock Sunday rolled around so incredibly fast and the hour was there where you had to stand up and say something, and there were no shortage of times when I knew that deep in my heart I had to say something, but I didn't really have something to say. And, uh, God, that's an awful feeling. And uh, since I got out of the professional ministry and that 11 o'clock Sunday hour doesn't roll around that often for me anymore when I'm the chosen one to say something for that hour, uh, I've learned to maybe appreciate it even more so how you got to have that deep inner sense of something to say before you really take the time to say it. Well, I said all that to say, though, at long last, 
I deep inside of me feel like I got something that uh, I need to get out into the world. And uh, if history means anything on these podcasts that I've been doing, a couple hundred of you find a way sooner or later to listen to it. And I hope, hope it winds up being something that's very meaningful to you. Uh, man, you know, the blessings of uh, being a preacher, as I once was, is you get to speak uh, a lot. And the curse of being a preacher, as I once was, is that you have to speak a lot. And so the rub really is, I think, to uh, try to do the kind of work mentally, spiritually, intellectually, uh, in the living of life where when occasions come where you might need to speak, you actually do have something to say. So truth is you get to be the judge here. Uh, whether I actually got something to say or not, but at last I do think I have something inside of me that just simply has to get out. I've always got a bunch of stuff that I want to say. And what I realize the longer I live is that most of what is inside of me really does not need to come out. I've had to learn this lesson uh, rather painfully through social media because you, it's been my experience through the years with social media that Particularly, it seems in times of high drama in culture, uh, you feel like you just got to weigh into some of the conversations. And uh, typically, when you do that, you're going to infuriate at least half the people that are your quote unquote friends on Facebook or uh, Twitter, as the case may be. And <clears throat> I've learned what's so what's so good about that, you know, just putting your mind out there and expressing yourself uh, or pooling your ignorance with that of others and at the same time infuriating people that don't need to be infuriated. And so uh, I've tried to lately go as dark as possible on things that just uh, are adding uh, heat to conversations and not light. Uh, so what I'm saying there is just because you want to say something doesn't mean that it needs to be said. Give you an example, like today while I'm doing this is the day after uh, our country has uh, bombed Syria. And here's what I know about this is I know that whatever I know or what I think does not need or have to be said today. So that's all I got on that. But like I said, there's always a bunch of stuff that I want to say, and most of it doesn't need to be said. But but here lately, for actually several weeks, and as I think about it, even months, and uh, actually in some sense for a couple of three or four more years, I've had this recurring thought inside of me about a theme that I feel like needs to be developed. And uh, that theme could be just entitled The Further Journey. The Further Journey. And I'm going to take a few weeks, in fact, to uh, try to try to expand upon this and what it means to me and maybe what it could mean to you. But uh, it's a wonderful metaphor, uh, journey metaphor for spiritual life, for just life itself. Um, the truth is we're all on a journey from uh, birth to a grave. Uh, and what happens between those two, uh, most of us think is, is important. And so to describe just the journey from the start of life to the end of life uh, and, and describing that, journey of living as a journey is one way we describe the lives that we live. It's the journey of life. 
And I uh, forgot to tell you that I might get a phone call while I'm doing this. So let's pause, shall we? Sorry about that. That was uh, my boy, Stuart. Got to help him with the project. And, uh, you know, this deal that I'm doing, it, it can be interrupted. So so there you go. So, so the further journey. Uh, and it's a great metaphor to talk about journeys within journeys, I guess, is what I'm trying to get at. For me, in the journey of life, there was a point in my early 20s where faith became important to me. And the notion of being on a faith journey became paramount in my life. And it became so important to me that the only way I kind of knew to express it was to go deeper in and deeper down and double down and actually even become a preacher about the faith journey. I sometimes look back and wonder, what was I thinking? And uh, maybe it was a deep sense of call. Uh, I like to think that might have been part of it. Another part of it is who, who knows? Something in me and something about my makeup in life is that I have this deep sense that no matter what I'm doing, uh, there is always more and more that is better and more that is good that can sometimes express itself in bad ways uh, where we always want more and it can lead to actually addictive and destructive behavior. But for the most part, you know, whatever our weakness in life is, on the other side of that weakness, you can probably find our strength. And the reverse is true. Whatever your strength is, you look hard, hard enough at it and you discover the reverse of that is Uh, The back side of it, the mirror side of it, the other side of it is actually your weakness as well. But for me, I just kind of live my life. I don't know. There's a lot of people like this where I always sense that, you know, there's there's something more. That uh, if I'm reading something good and thinking good thoughts and pursuing ideas, that there's more. And and so it's kind of always been that with me on my, you know, understanding of what it means to be on a faith journey that wherever one might be on that journey you're just scratching the surface and that there is really always more out there one of the ways that um this moreness of the journey uh in faith could be expressed is is if you compare it to just travel in general i don't know about about all of you that listen to me, but I would think it's probably true about most of you that listen to me, that you actually just like travel of any kind. And there's something mysterious and wonderful about the notion of going somewhere new, somewhere different, somewhere that you have never been before. And uh, I can remember when I was a kid uh, go to work with my dad some days and how neat I thought it was just to cross the county line to go from Garland County to Pike County or Montgomery County. Uh, To me, I can just remember as a kid driving around with my father, checking on chickens in all those counties down in Southwest Arkansas and just thinking how cool it was in a day to be in different counties and experience different places to eat and uh didn't take much to excite me. I thought it was a big deal to go from Garland County to Pike County, Arkansas. But, man, there was a diamond mine down there, which I never went to, but I just always knew it's over there. And, and there's you read signs about the lakes and campgrounds, and you can just imagine. And sometimes you'd even experience some of those things. So a love for, for journeying and doing something different, is, in my mind, has always been a part of who I am. Obviously, you know, as a kid, if you were lucky enough to be in a family where you got to take a family vacation every so often, man, how cool was that to go to Louisiana or all the way to Florida? Or, man, I remember once uh, our family went to actually to Chicago and Minnesota. And and uh, I can just remember how seeing that which is 
different from what I'm accustomed to. Always had about it uh, an appeal, that uh, a neatness, and and it created a hunger for seeing what's around the bend, what's at the top of that mountain, what 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 is out there somewhere, and so that's kind of been me on travel. And then, man, I'm trying to think, the first time I went overseas, oh yeah, I was in the United States Navy. That may have been the first time I actually flew on an airplane. How cool was that to fly to boot camp in Orlando, Florida? There was not much Disney-esque about my 12 weeks in Orlando, Florida and boot camp, but it was still amazing to be on a watch on top of a barracks and and the Air Force nearby. I was in the Navy, but there was this Air Force base nearby and a Air, airport nearby and I can remember in the middle of the night walking around with a fake gun and hearing the big jet engines whine on those planes and flying off and imagining where all those people were going to and imagining my journey that was soon to come back home which would then be a journey to California to where I'd never been and then that journey I knew would be followed by a journey back to uh, the East Coast and Norfolk, Virginia, where I'd never been, and get on a ship that was going to take me to Europe, where I'd never been. And I can just remember thinking back about the excitement of the journey, geographically and culturally and that sort of thing. And then, uh, gosh, later on in my life, you know, so so a love for travel has kind of always been a part of who I am, and and uh, man, I got—I could just tell you so many stories. It's not about places I've been, but it's just about the love for seeing that which is different and experiencing something more than what one sees, you know, just back home. Uh, and so, if you think about just that, which most of you would have that in terms of just travel to different places and cultures. Well, then if you take that same notion and understanding and apply it to a journey of faith and all that that might entail and mean, and that's kind of what I'm talking about when I talk about the further journey, that maybe there is something more or, well, that's it, just something more. And so for a few of my future podcasts, I'm going to expand on this theme of the metaphor of seeing life as a further journey. Now, there's a bunch of things that have fueled this thinking. And it's going to be a long introduction today, so hang with me. Uh, but I think, it'll, I think it'll hopefully reel you in and make you want to go on this journey with me wherever it goes. I'm not, I'm not fully sure where it's leading but I was just thinking uh, earlier this morning about how many books I've read in the last two or three or four years that have had some element of the metaphor of journey as a part of the message of the book. And uh, these are all books that I would actually recommend you read. So I want to go through these slowly. I would encourage you to have a notepad handy to write some of these down and uh, and maybe check them out for yourself. One is uh, by this author who I'll mention two or three times. <clears throat> Pardon me. <clears throat> Pardon me again. <clears throat> Barbara Brown Taylor. Barbara Brown Taylor is a professor of uh, religion and philosophy at a college, the name of which I forget, somewhere in Georgia. Former Episcopal priest. And an amazing writer, Barbara Brown Taylor. You want to know her. She wrote a wonderful book. I love the title, Leaving Church, A Memoir of Faith. And just look at the title, Leaving. It suggests a journey. And without trying to, uh, you know, do a review of Barbara Brown Taylor's book, 
and it's not about quitting being a church person or anything like that, really. It's not. But it does suggest, as I recall, that probably for all of us, there are some things about whatever church we grew up in we're going to have to leave if we're really going to be on the further journey. That's not to be an iconoclast or or just a just a rebel or a liberal, but it just leaving church is going to be a part of your journey. You're going to have to leave behind some of the things that you grew up thinking were just absolute truth and you realize, you know, we didn't know everything down there where I grew up. So Leaving Church, A Memoir of Faith by Barbara Brown Taylor. You will love it. Then here's another one. Uh, it's called Abba, Give Me a Word, The Path of Spiritual Direction by a guy named Roger Owens. And I just want you to notice the title, The Path of Spiritual Direction. It's just another book that suggests that there's a further journey, that we're not set in stone with a set of beliefs, but we're on a pathway, a journey of discovery. And then another one by Barbara Brown Taylor that I highly recommend is called An Altar in the World, A Geography of Faith. And in this delightful book, Barbara Brown Taylor talks about various points of geography to which she's been and and seeing how that apart from the church or the clerical setting where we have the pulpits and all the paraphernalia of spiritual life and living and sacredness, that actually out in the world under the stars on her farm and other places that we can travel to with our eyes wide open, we can discover an altar, that sacred place, right out of the middle of the journey of geography. So that's a good one. Here's a neat one. It's kind of counterintuitive by a guy named Pico Iyer. Pico's been a guest of Oprah's, and uh, he wrote a book called The Art of Stillness. Adventures in Going Nowhere. How interesting, how counterintuitive that that maybe a big part of the further journey is actually journeying inside ourselves and not going somewhere in our minds so much as just being still and finding that in stillness and meditation and and quietness, uh, we can have adventures in going nowhere. I think you'll find uh, Pico interesting read, and that puts you into a whole realm of of literature about meditation that can really add to and make more significant whatever journey you're on. Here's a novel, actually. Uh, that I read that is about a journey called Breakfast with Buddha by Roland Morello. And that's a funny, good story about this guy taking a journey across America with this uh, guru. And, and it's, it's a lot about his developing faith that, that happened on this journey. Fun read. And, uh, you'll get, you'll get some enjoyment out of that. Here's another book about, uh, about the journey of life. It's called The Gift of Years, Growing Older Gracefully by Joan Chittister. I'm 67, almost two weeks away from it, and uh, so I'm getting old. And I found that title pretty interesting, Growing Older Gracefully, The Gift of Years. Uh, sometimes, you know, we consider getting old and the aches and pains that come with it as a curse. And uh, Joan Chittister helps us, helps us to uh, see and realize that with the gift of every new day, as we are getting older, there are truly some gifts in there that can help us grow old gracefully. I remember, it makes me think of my late departed grandmother, Baber, uh, who I loved dearly, 
but who also had a penchant for being a bit of a grump, bless her heart, in her old age. And I uh, remember my father told me once when uh, we were talking about, why is Granny so cranky? Uh, I remember he told me this bit of wisdom. He said, the older cranky people uh, typically were younger cranky people. And so if we're going to grow old gracefully, maybe while we're still young, we need to start practicing the art of graceful living. But anyway, Joan Chittister, The Gift of Years. But it's about what a journey. It's a process we're in. Okay, then. And then here's a great one where another metaphor is used about travel. It's called the great spiritual migration. How the world's largest religion is seeking a better way to be Christian. By a favorite author of mine named Brian McLaren. But just notice the theme, spiritual migration. And I won't go into listing all these points. I'm going to save those for uh, some other uh, Uh, down-the-line parts of this episode about where he suggests we could be migrating to as people of faith. And it's good thoughts. Uh, Here's one by an old friend of mine named Coy Theobald. Coy uh, grew up in Hot Springs. Dad owned the famous Coy Steakhouse that sadly burned a few years ago. And, uh, And Coy went to University of Texas for a while and transferred to Washita. We were good buddies way back when. And just don't get to see him much anymore. He's out traveling the world and living a dream life of fly fishing and camping and stuff like that. And but and then one of his other passions in life was, <clears throat> pardon me, to be a sailboat captain. And so he wrote a book called Gypsy Wind Speaks, Life Lessons from a Sailboat. And uh, I've read most of it, and it's some good stuff. And he draws parallels about lessons he's learned about life and living through what travel through a journey, a journey out on sea, letting the wind carry you where it will and all that's involved in, in uh, using the power of the wind. And uh, so Gypsy Wind speaks. I think Gypsy Wind was the name of his boat. But <clears throat> again, <clears throat> pardon me, it's a person trying to give expression to this notion of the further journey. Uh, yet another book by Barbara Brown Taylor. Uh Man, sorry about all these messages coming in, but uh, that's high-tech world we live in. Uh, this one by Barbara Brown Taylor is called Learning to Walk in the Dark. There again, look at the metaphor about a journey. Walk. Learning to Walk in the Dark. And this is a book that is rich with insight using the metaphors of light and darkness and travel and I can't recommend it enough. Uh, here's yet another book that I've read recently by a guy named uh, Andre Dubose, I think it is. It's called Meditations from a Movable Chair. Very poignant uh, story that a guy tells of his own story. As I remember, he, he stopped to help somebody who was having car trouble on the side of the road, and he wound up getting hit and paralyzed from his waist down. And... Uh, and this book is uh, kind of his memoir of what it was like to, uh, for the rest of his life, be confined to a, a movable chair, a wheelchair that had to operate electronically. And it's full of great insight. But again, it's about, in his case, where he was crippled by life's journey, yet he continued on a journey and how the, the pain, the loss and everything wound up being great teachers for him. Uh, that's that's a good read. Meditations for a movable chair. Uh, I got two or three more here. I want to mention before we move on to something else. But I think it's worth seeing this how it's this this move metaphor, this further journey metaphor, this idea of life as 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 a pathway is just so everywhere. Uh, and this one is called here's the word again: a path with heart. A guide through the perils and the promises of spiritual life. And that is by a guy whose name slips me right now, but I will get it when I return. Because now you've been hearing my phone go off with text messages. It means my son is here to pick me up. i got to go help him uh, fetch a truck on a little journey, if you will, today. 
and I'll, I'll come back right here. So, I'm back. I've been gone about an hour and a half. You didn't know that uh, until I told you. But I was talking about these books, just two or three more. Uh, one, listen to this one, 12 Steps to a Compassionate Life by Karen Armstrong. Just look at the word steps, if you will. <clears throat> you know, it's, it's, it's all about a journey. You don't just wind up one day and be compassionate. There's a journey we take toward a compassionate kind of a lifestyle. Great book. Then um, here's another one by Brian McLaren. We make the road by walking. That book is kind of a year-long journey into some steps people can take and, and strategies they can use to develop uh, their spiritual journey and to be a part of this further journey that I'm talking about. We make the road by walking, Brian McLaren. And I'll just tell you right straight up, I personally think anything Brian McLaren ever writes, if you care about the further journey, you might want to be reading and contemplating his stuff. He'll yank your chain a little. He'll stretch you. He will uh, get you thinking outside the box. Uh, and you might find some places where you just, you just not buying what he's selling. That's okay. But he's a great writer, tremendous human being. I've had the privilege of meeting him. I can't recommend enough Brian McLaren's writings. And one more of his books about the journey. Why did Jesus, Moses, the Buddha, and Mohammed cross the road? By Brian McLaren. Crossing the road. It's, it's about movement. It's about a journey. And then I'll just mention one more that I've mentioned before in several other contexts, but which for me is kind of like the magnum opus book about this further journey. And that's actually where I exactly got the title, The Further Journey, uh, from Father Richard Rohr's book, Falling Upward, A Spirituality for the Two Halves of Life. And uh, in future episodes, I'll be saying several more things about Father Richard's book, but actually in the, uh, in the actual introduction or one of the maybe a couple of prefaces, uh, the first preface is called The Invitation to a Further Journey. And quite honestly, that's where I got this notion, further journey, uh, as a metaphor that I've been thinking about for several years, probably since I first read uh, Falling Upward, which I think was in like 2010. So we're talking seven years now. This concept of the further journey has been on my mind. So, <clears throat> pardon me, sorry about keeping coughing, but just as I kind of maybe put a wrap on this intro, uh, a few more things I want to share. In fact, Father Richard asked the question, in that preface, why talk about a further journey? And he gave two or three answers that I kind of want to uh, give, not necessarily word for word, but in general, that I think hopefully will continue to maybe whet your appetite and stimulate your own thinking about this metaphor of spiritual life, just life itself as a further journey. Uh, and Father Richard says in in response to his question, why talk about a further journey? He said, I find that many, if not most people and institutions, remain stymied in the preoccupations of the first half of life. He goes in great detail in this book, describing characteristics of what he calls the first half of life and the second half of life. It's not strict chronology, but Another way to describe it would be in the in the early times of our lives, in the early parts of our journeys in life, uh, there are some things we had to do early on, uh, and that would be described as first half of life things. And then, as we grow and mature, uh, the the requirements or the 
things that need to be done to be on a further journey could be described as second half of life. And uh, what he says here is that I find that many people, if not most, people and institutions are stymied in the preoccupations of the first half of life. He, among other things, describes the first half of life as a time when we're trying to establish an identity which usually takes shape as trying to establish a superior identity. In the first half of life, we're trying to figure out who we are. And oddly enough, especially those of us in United States culture and capitalism and, and stardom and all the so many things that are kind of handed to us as maybe the path to success in life, it's, it involves being superior, you know, like even in your sports teams. And this shows you how I'm still sometimes in the first half of life. You know, my dream is for my Arkansas Razorbacks to win the national championship. That way we can have a superior and thus fulfilled identity as a result to our sports teams. And if you're a Razorback fan like I am, uh, those are obviously going to be rare national championships. So we have to have lesser victories along the way that help establish our identity. But that's kind of first half of life living, just trying to uh, have an identity with that which is a winning culture. Uh, And then also in first half of life, you're trying to establish boundary markers. Uh, What are my beliefs? What are the things that shape and form who I am? And, and boundary markers would be decide, well, who's on the inside and who's on the outside. And sadly, so much of religion, matter, no matter what yours may be, uh, certainly in the Christian faith, no matter what your denomination might be, so much of the early journey is trying to decide who's in, who's out. Who's got the truth? Who doesn't have the truth? And so we establish these doctrinal boundary markers. And and that seems to be, you know, one of the greatest searches of so many people in the preoccupation of the first half of life. First half of life, we're concerned about security. And uh, as I just said, kind of being connected to the right significant people or projects and uh, identifying and clarifying our values. And all that's important work, not to make light of it, but uh, it's, it's, like, uh, it's like we're just trying to establish who we are. And that's first half of life challenges, and we all face them. Uh, one kind of illustration I thought of that might help differentiate between the first half of life journey and the second half of life journey. I grew up in uh, Hot Springs, Arkansas, and there's a uh, thoroughbred track there, Oakland Park, where they do paramutual gambling on horses. Of course, as a good Baptist kid, that was uh, we were not to go to the racetrack. Gambling was seen to be evil and all of the devil, and we couldn't go there. But I do remember... Uh, that as a little child, when my dad was taking me to kindergarten, I had to go right past the track every morning. During the season, you could stop uh, right there on Central Avenue, and there were places where you could see uh, the horses running. And I remember with fondness that my dad would stop and let me watch the thoroughbreds run. And I got to tell you, a uh, few things in life are more beautiful than a a really beautiful thoroughbred horse in training, or I must say I've been to the races a few times uh, in my adult life, and I think it is a gorgeous thing to watch a thoroughbred race. It's an amazing thing. And every year I'm like most people, you know, we get all caught up in the Kentucky Derby and the Preakness and uh, that other race that formed the Triple Crown, always hoping to see a Triple Crown. But this is not about horse racing so much. It's an illustration. Uh so back on that track, I, I got a neat brother-in-law, a uh, guy named Hank Hankins, who uh, was telling me a story once about how 
his father, my father-in-law, used to own a couple of race horses, and he called Hank one time when he was in college and said to him that uh, the horse they owned, they're shipping it down from Chicago. He'd been in training, and they thought he was due. The trainer said he's at his peak form, and he's probably going to win the race tomorrow. And so uh, Hank uh, told his brothers and his fraternity about this, and as I understand the story, it's probably grown through the years, but they took the entire treasury of their fraternity and went over and bet the money on this horse that's flown in from Chicago to win. And their theory was that on their winnings, on this special tip from his dad and his trainer, they'd take these winnings and the whole fraternity would go to Cancun for spring break. I mean, what a plan. And he said, I swear to you, Mark, when, uh, you know, we're all there, we bet all this money, I don't know how many, two or $3,000 on the on this horse. And he said, when the, and when the gates came open and the horses took off, that thoroughbred jumped out of the gate bucking like he was at a rodeo. And, uh, and so I've thought about this, kind of funny. He obviously did not win the race. But it's almost like this first half of life and second half of life is like, Comparing a bucking horse to a thoroughbred, who a thoroughbred who's trained to you know run the entire race, especially if you think about those longer races, and they're trained to just do the distance. And a bucking horse is trained to go hard for about eight seconds, game over, and he wants to get shed of what is encumbering him, instead of letting the jockey ride him for the entire race. A bucking horse wants to eliminate that guy with the reins on his back. And that kind of helps me think about first half of life, second half of life. First half of life, a lot of us are like bucking horses. We're just trying to buck off the restraints that have been put on us and try to establish our own sense of identity and our sense of freedom. And it's just a fast, fast, fast pace, you know, first half of life trying to be a bucking horse. In the second half of life, we want to be more like a thoroughbred. We're in, we're trained, we've learned some things. We've learned that that jockey on our back guiding, uh, guiding us is actually our friend and not our enemy. And we're, we're in for the race. So I don't know if that makes sense or not, but it kind of does to me. And this is where Father Richard says most people are stymied in the preoccupations of the first half of life, trying to be secure and be rich and be somebody and and have the right thoughts and the right political party and the right church and the right wife or right husband and the right stuff and and it's just a and we're stymied there. And uh and so we get to a point at somewhere in there where we know, man, there's got to be more than this. There simply has to be more than this, the right house and the right neighborhood with the right church and your kids doing right and everything being right and being on the right side of whatever the current argument is. And, And that's all first half of life stuff. And, and father Richard and what I'm trying to say here is, by talking about the further journey, there is more. And in weeks to come, I'm going to be describing what I think is some of that more. And then a second answer that Father Richard gave as to why talk about a faith journey. And he said, quite simply, because there is one. And really, that's one of the reasons why I went through all that list of books earlier, just to show you that of my limited reading. It's about like every other thing I pick up has something to do with a journey. And there are clear and and unmistakable voices of other people who are seeing life through that lens. And, And it's like so many voices in modern literature and literature that's been around and ancient literature and literature of other cultures uh, there are all these clear and inviting voices of others that suggest life is all about the further journey, that which is beyond. 
an invitation to more. And really, you know, you can talk about sacred texts. The one I'm most familiar with would be the, the scriptures. And if you think long and hard at all, or not even hard, just think for a few minutes uh, about all the different journey stories that are in the scriptures. You know, there's one of the earliest ones is Abraham. You know, he's hearing what he thinks is the voice of God. Come follow me to a place I will show you. And it's like this adventure of stepping away from the familiar and the defined and the safe boundaries of where he was to some place that he does not know where he's going. And that becomes kind of like the, the the base story of what faith is. And what is it? It's about uh, taking a leap and a step of faith into some certain unknowns. And uh, so that's the journey. Clear and inviting voices of secular texts. And a lot of secular texts that, that I need to be more familiar with. One book I'm reading now is a book on... Uh, mythology and you know there's all these ancient myth stories and uh like the hero's journey and it's true of every single culture of all times that you can unearth stories about journeys and you just think think to our own uh, i'm thinking most people that listen to me kind of grew up in the same kind of culture that i did And you think about just all the stories you know about some kid who decided he was going to run away from home. That might have been you. I had those thoughts. We all have them. What is that universal urge that some of us have at some point when something goes wrong, mother won't let us, you know, play with the toy that we want to play with at the moment and and our first thought is, well, I'll pack my bag. And the image we have is, you know, some kid putting all his stuff in a in a little towel or something, tying it up, and you have it on the back of a stick. And off he goes walking, you know, on his further journey. Well, I mean, I think what that is is, is that all of us in life have things that happen to us that make us think, I need to take a journey. And that is just written into the fabric of who we are as human beings. And it may be telling the larger story is that we're all driven to or invited to this further journey. So why talk about the further journey? Because there is one. A third thing Father Richard says in answer to his question, why talk about a further journey? He says, true religion is always a deep intuition that we are already participating in something very good. And the invitation is revealing. And the invitation to the further journey is that it's an invitation for a strong turn toward participation. Most of us in the first half of life are just born into a culture and sort of the boundary markers in many ways are handed to us and we're taught at our church or our school or our realm of influence. This is the way things are and it's just kind of cultural norms and mores and values and boundary markers are handed to us and Define for us. These people are good. These people are bad. This is good. That is bad. And we're sort of born into that, that first half of life identity. And in the second half of life or in that further journey, we're moving away from something having been just given to us. And we say, this is the path or this is the received way of being successful in the world or in faith or in whatever. And we, we are invited to, as opposed to just being one of the bunch, 
to be a participant in the journey. Uh, so as opposed to having a religion or a faith or a set of standards that are characterized by observation, affirmation, moralism, or just belonging to the right group. The further journey is that point in life where we just start thinking, man, there's more to it, so much more to it than just holding all the right beliefs. Somehow, some way, there is a moving into a participation, a a growing, a journeying, a discovering of things that are outside the box that has been handed to me. And so that's a long introduction to a metaphor that I want to visit with you about for two or three more times and two or three more episodes And we're just going to call it the further journey. Next uh, week or two, as soon as I can put it together, I think the next episode we're going to call a few characteristics of a further journey. I hope you look forward to them. I can't thank you enough for taking the time to listen to me. I got a feeling If you stayed with this thing this long, you already are on a further journey. You don't necessarily need me to teach you about it. But I hope that what we can do together is discover together some of the fresh excitement, the energy, the the wonder, the thought of leaning into the mysterious unknowns of a spiritual journey and a further journey that are just as exciting as leaning into the unknown of where you may go on your next vacation and what you may discover. Thanks again for listening. I appreciate your interest in me as a human being and in the journey of life that you're traveling. God bless you. Far